Hello, and welcome to Hear From a Hero. I am your host, Matthew Riddle. I proudly serve as the Executive Director for the South Central Ohio Chapter of the American Red Cross. Today, I have the honor to share important insight and inspiration from none other than Dr. Carolyn Bailey Lewis. Dr. Lewis retired from public media in 2011 following a distinguished 38-year career. The most recent position as Director and General Manager of WOUB Public Media at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, where she served um, as for the first 13 years as the first woman and first African-American to lead this entity and the first woman to be emerita. She's all, she was also general manager at WNPB-TV in Morgantown, West Virginia, and was the first African-American woman named to head of public television station in the continental United States. She's the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including the 2020 Medal of Merit for Professional Achievement from Ohio University Alumni Association, and others include the Neil S. Bucklew Award for Social Justice at West Virginia University. Dr. Lewis also taught at Scripps College of Communications and is currently an adjunct professor at Hocking College and serves on several local and state committees and is a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority uh, Incorporated and is an ordained minister as well. Um, Dr. Lewis, you earned a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in journalism from, from West Virginia U in Morgantown. Uh, you were the first African-American woman to graduate with an undergrad in journalism from WVU, and you earned a PhD in communication studies from the Scripps College of Communication at OU. Uh, you are an advocate uh, for accessibility and inclusion, and you consult on those issues. Um, you and your daughter, uh, Karen M. Bailey, MPA, are co-founders of the Dr. Carolyn Foster Bailey Lewis Family Foundation, a charitable organization which promotes health, wellness, and education uh, for those with acute chronic disabilities. Dr. Lewis, you have had an amazing life. It's great to see you again. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, I, I'm doing good here. I'm just, I'm just making a, a life, not a career, as you, uh, as you so pointed out to me. You, um, the first time we, we chatted, you, you shared Maya Angelou's uh, quote with me which is, you know, I've learned that making a living is not the same thing as making a life. And um, I think for us who work in nonprofit, um, we have that, we, we, we wanna live um, our career. We, 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 we love what we do. Uh, we love the mission of the Red Cross. And um, that quote has really helped me here the past, past month um, with some motivation. So what does that quote mean to you? You know, I found that when I'm going through difficult situations, making a life is not only thinking about me, but thinking about others. And find when I volunteer and do different things to help others, whether it's witnessing or just being there for them, uh, that's part of that making the life, that you're just not doing it on your own. But it's a community that you're not in this thing by yourself, that you have to do something greater than yourself in order to make that life and to make it worthwhile. Uh, what, do you want, what do you want to have on your tombstone? <laughs> right. That she was selfish, she did nothing for anyone else, but that she certainly created a legacy and made a life for others. Yeah, and like you said, it, all the fame and all the money doesn't matter if you don't have integrity and honesty, right? And exactly. uh, I just love I would, I would tell my students that um, integrity is not who you are in the open, 
that's who you are when you're by yourself. Yeah, that's who you are. That's your character. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I just wanted to share that with with everyone. Um, you know, your insight's so good, and um, I have to say, for the people that are listening to the podcast um, and can't see you, you have the most infectious smile I have ever seen in my life. I swear, every time I see you and you smile. I cannot help it, but um, smile as well. And I, I really feel that, that positive attitude through the screen. So um, I, I just, uh, I wanna ask you, what is the first that you are most proud of? You know, I, I listed off tons of um, amazing uh, firsts that you've gone through um, being an African-American woman in this country. And I, you know, wanted to know what you're most proud of and then maybe what was the hardest to overcome? Actually, I, there are two that I'm most proud of. And one is when I enrolled at West Virginia University in 1966. I was nine, one of nine black women and 30 black men were there of 15,000 students. Wow. So I was the first one in 1971. I took a, a year off for personal reasons mm -hmm. uh, because well, I'll just say it because others need to know that no matter what happens, you can accomplish. Um, when I was 19, I was a junior, and I fell in love with a basketball star. Oh, I, happens. I chased him until I caught him. That's good. <laughs> and um, I got pregnant with my son, which, you know, I wouldn't take change for anything in the world. Uh, but I promised my mother that I would finish school. And that I did. I went back and finished a year later. I think that's why I was so driven to get my master's and my PhD. She's been long gone, but she was really good to me. And so I, I made that commitment to her that I would do that. The second one is uh, when I was named general manager at WNPB. And I didn't know then that I was the first black woman to be named general manager of a public TV station in the continental United States. So here I am, I invited Fred Rogers to this dinner our 25th station anniversary. His PR man, David Newell, who is also Speedy Delivery and Mr. McDevy said, Carolyn said, the, the, Fred does not do station visits anymore. He doesn't, he can't do all the kids. I said, it's not the kids. We're gonna do a dinner. It's our 25th station anniversary. Well, Pittsburgh is only an hour and 20 minutes from Morgantown. And so two months before our anniversary, I pounded David all year. Finally said, you got it. So here we are sitting at the table. I, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, yes, that one, sitting right Crazy. beside me. <laughs> and um, so I was getting ready to introduce him and the executive director of West Virginia Public Broadcasting said she had an announcement. And she said, after nationwide search, that she was naming me the general manager. I've been interim for about half a year yeah. of the station. So uh, I, I don't remember a thing Fred Rogers said in his speech. I was just so overwhelmed, so yeah. overcome to be named general manager. And I didn't know I was the first then. Right. But it was quite something for me. And um, I started out as a TV writer announcer and worked my way up. And was significant. Two years before that, I applied for the same job. They didn't even give me an interview. Mm. And two years later, what I did in interim, I read everything I could about technology. I studied anything about operations. I think I did everything at the station except engineering. So when they named me, I was ready. I look back now and two years before that, I don't think I was. So every door that shuts is not a bad thing. Right. It's just to prepare us for what's to come. 
Yeah. Um, now you you mentioned um, also a, a story uh, maybe been 1966 when you were in uh, band. Yeah. Uh, you want to share that story too? Yes, I was going to say that was the one that was most challenging. For two years, I was in the the only black girl and the girls then in the West Virginia All State Band. So in 1965, that summer, and it was a traveling band. We went up to uh, the Thousand Islands up in New York and we played concerts all along the way. So here I am getting on this bus. My mother took me to Clendenin, West Virginia. I couldn't even stay where the other students stayed because of segregation. So this wonderful minister and his wife took me in. So it was hard because they called me names. You're not supposed to be there. I knew I was good or else I would have made a band. And one of my worst memories, we went to this um, place called, it was, it was an Echo Valley. And uh, someone looked at me, a little girl and said, mommy, there's an inn and it echoed all throughout and everybody in the band, except one girl who just took me under her wing, who was in the band and was my friend then. And so she said, don't worry about them, I got you. And, and that's what life is all about. You know, we have to lift someone else up and because she put her own reputation, they could have, uh, gone against her but she she's pretty tall big girl so i don't think they're gonna mess yeah. up <laughs> yeah. she had me but that wasn't overall the experience was good but it ended up the second year wasn't so bad we did college tours and the last concert that we had was at west virginia university we went to purdue and all up in the southern midwest came back to west virginia to end it and when i got to wvu i told my mother i said this is it she said, what is it? I said, this is where I want to be at West Virginia. And that was May of 1966, where school was to start in September. So um, she just kind of made it happen that I could get in and everything. But uh, it, was, it was a great experience overall. And you learn from everything. But the second year wasn't so bad, but the first one was terrible. Yeah, I mean, and, and how, do you, how do you have such a positive attitude when you've gone through such, you know, things that I can't obviously experience or never can experience, um, how do you do that? What, what, what advice do you have for, for other women of color who may be listening um, or to, to possibly just, you know, continue to be the pioneer kind of like you did? What advice do you have? I have to go back to what Fred Rogers said. You have to, when you're in trouble or you need something, you have to find the helpers. When we were at West Virginia, there was a community, a black community who helped us. We knew where to go. They fed us. There was a central black church in the community that we all went to. So even in my life now, I have helpers. I know I can call my friends because we can't make this journey alone. There is no way. Uh, there's a saying, no man is an island, a woman, no one goes his for every his or her way alone. Everything we send into the life of others comes back into our own. And then there's a starfish too. Yeah. And kind of the little boy, why are you saving all these? You can't save all of them, but the one that you can save. So there were so many people that saved me. And you have to give back. So I look for the helpers, uh, no matter what their expertise, if I need uh, advice, if I need prayer, whatever I might need, I look for the helpers. And that's the advice I would give. Just can't make it alone. And even, you know, I have a uh, a service I watch out of Alexandria, Virginia, uh, Pastor John Howard Wesley, very powerful man. 
And he says, you know, he's very transparent. He says, I have to have a therapist sometimes. I have to have someone to talk to. And so that's that's where you have to go. Just talk to somebody. Don't try to make it by yourself. Yeah. And, and have and a mentor. Have a mentor. Have a mentor. And, and, and I think, you know, I think the Red Cross, I think that's the experience that we try to, to bring into the community. I know that's something I, I try to do in Athens and everywhere is to be that, um, to be there for people, uh, to be partners, um, to be helpers for, for everybody. Um, and, and, and I, I'm so glad that you're, you're with us, that you're a Red Crosser. Um, and uh, you actually won a Heroes Award from us a couple of years ago as well. I did. Um, to, my Red Cross experience started some years, many, many years ago. I used to give blood until one time I went and they wouldn't take it. And I didn't know that I was having some kind of infection. Mm. That's when I had infection in my spinal cord and I had a tumor. Matt, they operated on me for 11 hours. I was paralyzed, but I got everything back. But every three or four years, I have a setback. And so, you know, I'm still having mobility issues, but still you have to just keep going. And so my Red Cross experience started some time ago. I think I mentioned that um, I'd get these envelopes in the mail. You know how you just put them in the cell. I'll get, I'll get around to it. Well, yep. one day I did get around to it, not knowing that when I went through surgery, that I was going to need blood. And then I'm very anemic and I would have to get transfusions. I had to get plasma transfers when I was at Riverside in, in mm-hmm. Columbus every other day, I think it was for 14 days or something like that. So I didn't know then how much I would need the Red Cross. And I think people don't think about it that one day you or your family member might need that blood. Absolutely. And it's important to give when you can, not only with your with your time and volunteering in any way. I mean, even in peaceful times, there are things to do. We may not have a disaster right now. But even in peaceful times, you could, someone may have expertise in computers or to give money, whatever it might be, or to tell others about the importance of the Red Cross, just to give the time. Absolutely. Oh, yes. And the hometown hero, when, when Sandy Sherry called me, I thought, me? <laughs> you know, what have I done? But um, I was really honored that morning. My daughter was able to come. And uh, it was a beautiful breakfast, and they honored us as just being a vital part of the community and for giving back. So that was quite an experience. So I was really honored by that. Yeah. And, and now, um, now you are a part of, of our South Central Ohio Diversity and Inclusion Committee, um, which our, our chapter started about a year ago. Um, and we've been growing. Uh, we have a great, uh, great diversity committee. And uh, we've done a lot of great things with Ohio University. Um, because of the connections that, that you've helped us make. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, OU, but before I go to OU, uh, I just wanted to ask, what would you say to um, someone who may be hesitant to volunteer with the American Red Cross, whether it's because of you know, a preconceived notion of, of who we are or what we are, or maybe um, the volunteers don't look like you. That's, that's always a concern. Um, for us, and and I know uh, in the, our building in uh, Greater Cincinnati, um, where our CEO Stephanie Bird is, they have a great mural that has um, 
pictures of all different types of people, different colors, different races, uh, different, um, and, and, I, and I think that that's what we want the Red Cross to be, a beacon for everybody, a beacon, a shining light to come and be accepted. And I just, you know, wanted to see if, if you think, um, you know, what you would say to someone who may be hesitant to volunteer. I would say it like I do. When I was asked to serve on this committee, I thought, I've got so much to do. How? <laughs> then I couldn't say no because I realized that um, you can't put a color other than red on blood or whatever color it is. Very you know, true. I guess when you touch it with oxygen or whatever, it might turn different colors. But you really can't put a color on blood that if I need your blood, Matt, I'm not going to say sorry, but we need each other. And that's what I would say to people that you have to give it a try. Just um, sit in on a meeting, read up on the Red Cross. I, I did a little uh, history lesson myself with Clara Barton and why she started it and, and, you know, after the Civil War and all that kind of thing. And so, I mean, this was a wonderful woman. What a brave woman she was. And we all have to show bravery at some point in our lives. We can't sit back and let someone else do it because they may not. So I would say, just try it. Uh, go to a Red Cross building, meet the people, attend a meeting, do some history, and see why it's so important in everybody's life in this country, in this world, that we all need blood to survive. And without the Red Cross, in disaster and peaceful times, you know, even when people, we need clothing and, and we need blood, people need shelter, so many things. And you don't have to just give money to be, as I said earlier, your time. Time. Yeah. I would say just give it a try. And I think you'll like it. Yep. And you've heard me, you've heard me probably say that too. I I, I want your your time and your passion. That's yeah. the most important thing. Because if you have that, you're you're more than welcome to join my team and join the Red Cross. Because you know, if, if all of us um, have a common goal, uh, we have shown that, you know, at least we can do it. We can we can go to we can form a diversity inclusion committee and we can hold two blood drives uh, for sickle cell awareness this year. And we um, started a diversity action project at Ohio University. And we're also going to be taking part um, in the Athens Black Summit that is coming up. Um, and that is all part of us working in a committee and working together. And um, did you wanna talk a little bit about the summit? Is there, what I, what I think I'm gonna do is we'll get a link um, possibly to maybe uh, some PDFs and flyers for the event. We'll put it on the on our YouTube um, and Facebook page so people can can see information that you're talking about. Um, but do you want to maybe give a little background on the summits and then our role? Okay, well, last year we had a thriving while black because Athens has such a small black population, people of color. And um, we realized after that meeting, it was, about, it was about 60 people there, and we didn't know each other in the community. Who are we? How can we help each other? What do you do? So uh, Dr. J.W. Smith, who's a professor on campus, said, let's have a Black Summit. So we tried to have it last April, and then the um, April a year ago, but then the, the COVID hit. And so we had it uh, virtually in uh, February of this year. We had over 100 participants, and it was a wonderful event. So we decided to have one in February, somewhere around Juneteenth, and then one in the fall. So this year, we, you know, we talked about having a blood drive, but that didn't come to fruition. 
So we're so happy to have, um, we're gonna talk about forming an NACP in, in Athens and also have breakout rooms where the folks who are on the uh, virtual Zoom can talk to each other for about 40, 45 minutes. And then Tanika Jeffers from the Red Cross, mm -hmm. and she's delightful. I'm, I can't wait to hear what she has to say. And uh, her topic is, it's critical. Yeah. The need for, for diverse blood, and it is critical. So we're gonna focus on that at this summit and give her time to speak and people time to respond and to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the mayor has written a Juneteenth proclamation. Oh, great. And, and what we're doing, uh, talk to the mayor. One of our committee members had this idea. I can't take that, uh, that credit. But he said, why not have different people of all cultures to read different sections of the Juneteenth proclamation? Then the mayor ends at the end. So we've got a little 10-year-old girl. Got someone oh, from that's so cool. Star. We've got different people reading it. So we're really excited about that. And it's being produced this week. That's great. And the yeah, mayor, really, mayor's... I can't say yeah. enough about Tanika. Uh, you know, of course, she works at uh, Children's Hospital okay. in Columbus, uh, working in sickle cell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of us as Black people have that in our genetics. So that's important to have her talk about that. And what we need to do as a people to get over the stigma about not giving or getting blood. Absolutely. And she, yeah, so she, she's amazing. I've only gotten to meet her tw uh, two times, um, but Tanika Jeffries, yeah, she, she just joined our um, Greater Columbus Board of Directors as well. So she's now serving uh, a three-year term on our board in Columbus. Um, so we're all really excited about that. And, and again, thank you for, for, you know, thinking of us and getting Tanika to be able to speak. Because like you said, I think it's going to be really powerful. And I think it's information that a lot of people don't have. And, and that's that's our job, right? That's your job. You're an educator, and, yeah. and I feel like I am too sometimes because you got to get the word out to others, um, and, and it's important. Matt, did I send you the flyer and the link? You did, and I will get I will get those posted up so people people can see them, um, and if they want to, uh, you know, attend either. Uh, and the the attendance, um, you don't need tickets or anything, correct? You don't need a reservation or anything. Reservation. Just just be there you don't need anything okay and mayor and, and you talked about the mayor mayor steve patterson is also on our board of directors for the red cross so it's really cool to see the spider web of of what we can really accomplish when we just sit down with each other um and, and have a conversation i think that's so powerful um of what we can do and hopefully it inspires other other you know other regions other chapters to really try to get involved with universities um, and get into the multicultural centers and talk to the students um, to really, you know, connect with the next generation of Red Crossers. And that's the thread that runs through our summit. Let's continue the conversation. We don't think the conversation will ever be over. No. And we have to keep talking. Absolutely. Um, why don't you, you, you said before, I wanted to kind of circle back. Um, did you say that you went to give blood and they told you no, and that's how you found out you had an issue? That was one way I knew something was wrong, okay. but I was so busy now, so busy being busy. <laughs> I didn't follow up on it for another year or two. Hmm. And then that's when I started having back pain and arm pain and I went to the doctor and he said, you got an infection. And he said, come back in, in August. August, I was just so sick. I couldn't go back in the next month was when I faced paralysis and, right. and did an MRI and realized I had the spinal cord too. Right. 
Yeah. It, yes. And yes, that's a good method of detection. It is that's very right. common. Yes, absolutely. Very common. I, I feel like almost once a month I hear a story of someone who either had you know leukemia early on or cancer early on or some kind of a health scare and they give blood and obviously the Red Cross, we screen that and um, kind of give an early warning to some people uh, when they're giving blood. Exactly. We just have to pay attention. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit more about your foundation? In 2016, man, I was really, really ill. Uh, I think it's the year that they life-fighted me because I had sepsis, a UTI, my white blood cell count had gone up really bad. And uh, I was just in really bad shape. And um, so my daughter wanted to, in some way, I mean, really, we thought I was leaving here, in some way honor me with the foundation. Mm. So she set this up through the RS, of course, Tower 1C3. And Karen herself, my daughter, her kidneys failed in 2011. And so she knows what it's like to go through dialysis and see people who don't have food or transportation to get where they need to go. So she said, once I came through, you know, she already said up, she said, let's do this as a health, wellness, and education. I want to have money where I can give to folks who need help with chronic illnesses. And I said, and I will, I've seen students who have disabilities that don't have enough of books or tuition. So on my end, that's what, so we merged the two. And that's what we're doing. You know, we've got a little bit of money in the bank account. We need to, mm -hmm. we're going to have a, an event last year, but of course COVID hit again. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so we're going to get going again and, and start really trying to help some people. So I, I will, please let me know when that is. And um, when you're going to, are you going to have another fundraiser for your foundation? And I'll make sure we, we, we tell everyone, um, maybe on a podcast, we'll tell them, hey, just throw it in there. Hey, remember Dr. Lewis and her, you know, her amazing stories, her, her foundation's having an event finally. Um, and um, yeah, I love to attend that. I think it's so cool that, I don't know, you, you've lived such a great life. You've done so many things and yet you still just want to keep giving back and you do it with a smile on your face. And it's just really inspirational. Met, I've met everybody from Glenn Eiffel, Fred Rogers. I've been to Sesame Street in New York. I've got pictures with Big Bird and Elmo. I've been on the Natchez with Dick Cavett. You probably don't remember that name. He was a talk show host. Oh, he show years and years ago with uh, Muhammad Ali. Oh. And so he was the, the speaker on the, on, the, on the boat that night, on the steamboat. And so my girlfriend and I, excuse me, my girlfriend and I, went to get his autograph and he looked over and he said, let those two beautiful black women through here. <laughs> and so we just went right through the crowd and I have a signed autograph. I keep doing it, I'm sorry. I keep I have a signed autograph, Muhammad Ali, 1979. Wow, so, that's, that's so cool. So I've just had wonderful opportunities when I went to, um, to California a few years ago for a PBS conference. I tried out for Will of Fortune, I didn't make it, but I've tried a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. And you're also writing a book or you wrote a book. I am. I am. It's at the publishers right now by me being a journalist. And I was, you know, in bed one night saying, God, you know, why am I here so long? And I just heard clearly write the book. You're an insider. So it's love and loss, the storied nature of nursing home care, because I've been in and out of several of them and rehab centers. And I've got stories from different um, residents about their experiences, a little bit of statistics about uh, nursing care, and um, 
whole chapter on bingo. You gotta have bingo. Gotta have bingo in the nursing home. And I mean, that's that's a serious issue. Is and it? Then, um, oh yeah, the people. There's a story that came out of Canada a few years ago that uh, there were two people, a 66 year old and a 72 year old. They got to fighting over a chair. Oh man. It's very territorial. They sit with their own. They have their own cards. Sit with their own friends. Own chips. Don't mess with it. And so they had to call the police because everybody got to got involved. <laughs> I, I got so tickled. I started to see these wheelchairs and canes and everything flying all over the place in the bottom line of the story. And I have it in the book is that they still don't know whether they got to play bingo that day. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, it's serious. I have a chapter on therapy dogs. That's really important Mm. too. That's really neat. And then it ends with recommendations for nursing home care from my point of view. And then how to be an advocate because that's really important. If you can't be your own, you need someone to advocate for you. That's so true. My mom always told me that, you know, my dad, he, he, um, he battled cancer and we always talked about it. You know, you need to have that advocate to go to bat for your family member um, because no one else will. Right. You know, we have great doctors, we have great nurses, but sometimes they, you need a little push, um, a little extra care. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Every place has its quirks. I was at one place. It was just filthy, but the food was great. I mean, places where they actually clean, but the uh, food was to be desired. So, yeah. and then sometimes the service was a little bit better than others, but every place has its quirks. But I think for the most part, these caregivers are hard workers. They really try to do the best that they can. Yeah, gotta be a hard job, you know? So, so another cool fun fact I wanted to make sure we share with the audience is that you are sorority sisters with the one and only Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, yes, that's so true. Uh, I was initiated, I pledged in 1971. I went over in 1971, um, 50 years ago. So I'm golden this year. So yes, she is an Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority sister. And um this year I'll be going, well, I won't be going. They are going to have the end of Boule in New Orleans. Of course, they're going to do it virtually, mm. but they'll honor all the Goldens. And my daughter is also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Awesome. So she's my legacy. And nice. so now I'm just getting my grandchildren. Yeah. So we-, <laughs> we need to do that. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. But that's quite an honor. And, and, and it really was the royalties and fraternities that helped get her over with the vote. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, what does it, what does that mean to you on election night when, when Joe, Biden, you know, Biden won, and and uh, you know, more importantly, you know, not to be political, but, the pre- but more, we're talking more about being the first woman of color to be vice president. I cried. I couldn't stop crying when they announced the 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 vote. I for two days I just sort of hunted down. I couldn't watch TV or anything, but um, it was just such a moving moment because. It was like we can breathe now a little bit. Mm-hmm. We can breathe. And then on inauguration, I cried like everybody else just cried. <laughs> and it was just so moving to see her there, the first black woman vice president, an Asian woman, Indian woman. Oh, yes, true. I'm sorry. I did forget about that. Well, that's okay. But uh, just moving that, that this country did this and elected Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden was elected because uh, Clyburn down in South Carolina. One of the women in the church said, We gotta, I'm voting for Joe Biden. He's okay, we gotta get Joe in. And from that, 
the ball started rolling. So right, and that yeah. that was uh, before. That was like the primaries, right? Maybe. I think that was the primary, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's just again the power of uh, community, right? You know, people can can influence and and for for good. Um, but yeah, I thought you know I have a daughter who's six, um, and it's just really cool that she gets to grow up um, in a world where anything is possible. And I think anything is possible because of people like you, Dr. Lewis, honestly. Um, it's not the famous people. I mean, it is, you know, uh, obviously a lot of famous people um, break barriers, um, but it's it's stories like yours that, you know, need to be told that probably everywhere we look, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be, you know, hard stories and amazing uh, courage that you've had and inspiration. So uh, I just want to thank you. Um, for taking us on your personal journey. I know we kind of talked about a lot. We bounced around a little bit, um, but that's how we talk. We're, we're friends and, and we're kind of just having a conversation. Um, and I really hope that um, we continue to work together and enjoy this, the, the um, Juneteenth celebration together. Um, what does Juneteenth mean to you? You know, a lot of us didn't even know about it until we grew up. It wasn't taught in our classrooms and you know, some of the, I went to all black high schools, uh, all black schools in Bluefield, West Virginia. They didn't integrate to 1969, even though Brown versus Board was 1954. And so years we, later. we had a board down there that they just refused to go by the law. But you know, you'd hear something about Juneteenth, but we really didn't know all of the details. Just knowing it was two years later, until people in Texas knew they were liberated. And until, you know, the general went down and told them that Galveston, that they were, they were freed. And so the celebrations began. So I think we have to remember and to celebrate what that means to all of us, uh, not just to black America, but it's just, um, it's kind of scary right now though. And I don't want to get into the political to see everything that's going on. Mm -hmm because it's scary right now for those of us who are people of color to see how things look like they're reversing, but mm -hmm. we're gonna press on. We've been through worse. We're resilient people. We always say if we can come over those waters and survive in those boats and survive, we can get through anything that's thrown at us right now. So Juneteenth means liberation and let's keep liberation in the forefront. Yeah, and, and a reason why I brought that up and this hit me again for I was gonna kind of conclude here is just I, you know, I'm 34 years old. I uh, went to high school, college, got a degree, and I didn't, maybe it's my ignorance, but I didn't know about Juneteenth necessarily until about two years ago. Um, and I even asked um, as recently as a couple months ago, you know, what is it exactly? And, and I don't know if, like you said, it, it's maybe it's an educational thing, but now that I know about it, um, you know, I, it is very important, obviously. Um, I just thought that if there's people out there like me who are um, maybe they're afraid to ask what Juneteenth is or they, they don't know how to go about it. I, I appreciate you sharing, um, you know, kind of a quick history and, and what it means um, to you as an African-American woman. Just knowing that um, the whole country was freed about that time as mm -hmm. Texas was freed, that that was the emancipation of everybody, so to speak. And it just means that our young people, those coming after me, have a legacy, you know, we, we don't have to be bound anymore. And that somebody had the foresight to go and tell Texas 
for all three. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, when, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, it wasn't for everybody because they did not know no one had gotten to Texas. And so I would encourage everybody to go look it up and see how it happened. And to know that uh, that was sort of the last stage of getting all of the slaves free. Yeah. They were still oh. working in the fields until I think it was Galveston. Galveston, Texas. Yeah, that you were free. Gotcha. Yeah. So anything else, Dr. Lewis, that you, you want to share with the world? We, you know, we're building this podcast, this Hear From a Hero podcast. Um, you're my fourth guest. Um, and um, uh, anything else you want to share with the audience? Uh, I'm honored that you'd ask me. Uh, this is, um, you know, I've done a lot of things, but this is going to be right at the top. I've never done a podcast before, <laughs> so this is the first. Cool. Uh, so I'm really honored first. to do this with you. But I would just encourage those who are still on the fence about volunteering, especially, or giving money or giving goods or giving any kind of talent they have, you just try it. Yeah. We need you. We need everybody to. Uh, make the Red Cross as strong as it can be, that we can help our neighbors and help our communities and help those in need. And one day, in, in essence, helping ourselves, because we never know when a tornado or hurricane, anything mm -hmm. might come through, or a flood, whatever it might be, or fire. And Red Cross is so quick to help in those situations. And so we need you and you need us. We need those are you, those who are listening, yeah. and you need us, those of us with the Red Cross. Absolutely. Thank yes. you. Yeah, no, it's great. And um, thank you again. Um, the, the next couple episodes of Hear From a Hero will actually be hosted by my good friends and colleagues, uh, Executive Director Corey Paul and Regional Communications Manager Michael Tyler. Uh, if you want to recommend a friend, colleague, or community member for a future episode of Hear From a Hero, you can either post in the comment section on Facebook or email me directly at matthew.riddle at redcross.org. Put good into the world and good will come back to you, my friends. I will talk to you soon. Dr. Lewis, I will see you soon as well. Thank Have a you. Good one. Just giving blood is just something, it just feels like it's just a gift. It, I don't want anything back in return, but if I know it can help at least one person, I feel good knowing that that one person has a chance to live. It's important to me as, uh, you know, an African-American, you know, to donate blood. I started donating blood maybe about seven years ago when a friend of mine, her son, had sickle cell and she wanted to have a blood drive. So we put one together and ever since then I've been donating blood. I keep coming back because I know the importance of um, blood donations. I've had several co-workers and friends who have really benefited from the fact of uh, people donating blood. I have several friends that have had to have blood transfusions even here recently. So it's just compelled me to take another step and do what I could to help them out. You never know when you may need blood or someone close to you may need blood. You know, I understand, you know, we're coming out during the time of the pandemic, but uh, I had no problems coming out. It was a great experience. The staff is great, easy to work with, funny, and make it pleasant for you. The American Red Cross has all the safety measures in place. It was straightforward. 
mask, took the temperature at the front desk, had sanitizer available. Oh, the process is very safe. Um, I felt welcomed, I felt comforted. Um, I am not one that really likes needles, um, but again, because I am so passionate about the fact of giving back, I make that sacrifice. And I just keep coming back because I know how important it is. So I um, just encourage anybody who wants to give back to their community to come and do it. Once you give, you'll keep giving because you realize how many people you are actually helping. We're saving lives. Every little bit counts. Schedule an appointment at redcrossblood.org.